0: Welcome to the Shilab Hammer Extractive Podcast. My guest today is Stephen Karangisi. Stephen is the former chief executive of the African Legal Facility of the African Development Bank, which he established in 2011. The facility has supported over 45 African countries in the areas of negotiation of agreements in infrastructure development, natural resource sector, and the energy sector. The facility has also been recognized as being one of the Institutions of the continent has has made a lot of difference in providing a level playing field in the field of negotiations between African states and investors. Stephen is a lawyer by training from Uganda and previously worked as legal advisor for Comesa and three other countries. Stephen, welcome to the Sheila x podcast. It's wonderful to speak with you today.
1: Thank you very much Sheila I'm also pleased to uh, appear on the podcast and I look forward to our discussions following to our past cooperation in supporting african countries in these areas when you are the african natural resource center
0: Thank you very much so based on your knowledge these laws that require citizen equity participation in natural resource projects how prevalent are they in Africa.
1: No, thank you Sheila. Unfortunately, they are not prevalent. Um, That is in the context of saying that they are expressly provided for in the laws and regulations on the continent. Uh, When you're not speaking about specific provision in the laws and regulations, you can refer to uh, inferences such as to state equity usually they provide for free carried or paid. That's another discussion. The practice of citizen ownership is not prevalent de facto. So just the laws and the practice is not really prevalent.
0: That's interesting because it's well, uh, it's something that is discussed quite a lot. Uh, I I would have thought that many countries would have moved from uh, the public discussion based on pressure to either policies or requirements. But what intrigues me is that you say, unfortunately. Are you suggesting that, in effect, it would be helpful if these requirements existed in a formalized policy framework or legal framework?
1: It would be helpful, uh, certainly depending on the context of the country. Different countries have different contexts. But one thing that is obvious in all the countries, there is pressure for increased transparency in terms of the ownership of the resources. And there is a debate now. So it is in the context of that debate that I say, unfortunate. And unfortunately that debate is not taken in all cases to its logical conclusion. Of course, part of this is the history. It does not mean that citizens cannot participate. They can certainly participate. But if you look at the way mining investments are structured, you need developed financial systems, capital markets, which most of our countries did not have. As these have developed over time, the phenomena of citizen participation is probably easier. But of course, that has to be in the context of understanding what, what, uh, what the whole investment in mining means, because it's a risky, it's a risky venture. So quite often, in the absence of those financial systems, uh, there's been what you would call issuance of government bonds and infrastructure investments, which are probably more prevalent.
0: So you mentioned that. Uh unlike provisions for state equity participation, carried or not, there are fewer instances in which countries require citizen equity. With that in mind then, my question is, if we already have laws providing for the state to acquire equity in these projects, why do we need to have an additional requirements for citizens who are otherwise represented by the state?
1: A very important point. I think we have to roll back a bit and uh, realize that as the debate has escalated over the past few years because of the issues of transparency uh, being put on the table, some of the reports that have come out as to whether the states gain maximum returns out of these investments, All that debate is based on the conventional wisdom that the state holds the equity on behalf of the citizens. Same as saying that the state owns the minerals on behalf of the people, but with increased transparency and with the understanding that a lot of the holding in terms of the interests in these companies belongs to non-citizens. There is need to give, so to say, the citizens a kind of opening an opportunity to invest uh, or have a stake, I mean, have, have a participation, citizens' equity participation. So as to address uh, those kinds of perceptions that despite the fact that the resources belong to the citizens, they do not have the opportunity to participate. Now in some of the countries that's why i was saying that it varies from countries to countries you have the states having a higher stake equity participation i mean like tanzania where you still have state mining companies then just representing the the citizens equity but the citizen participation remains uh, remains does not does not become that prevalent in fact i could say tanzania and most of the of the French-speaking countries in Africa, even where you have highly successful uh, companies, uh, state companies, you know, where the state is a major shareholder, like the Botswana, I don't think that you've had an opportunity of listing on the local booth so that the citizens can participate. I don't know what the what the landscape is like in Botswana with respect to that, but. It, it, it normally increases state in, I mean, citizens' interest if you have an opening for citizens' participation, but they would then have to understand the risks that go with
0: that. Hmm. I'll come to the subject of risk. Uh, we, we've spoken uh, about citizen equity from the citizen and perhaps even the sovereign state perspective. What do we know about the impact that this additional requirement to state equity has on investor sentiment? Because, after all, we are sharing a cake. And every time you increase the number of participants, you reduce uh, what goes to each one of the shareholders. What, in your experience, is the view or sentiment of investors towards this uh, uh policies
1: the investors are not usually uh are not usually uncomfortable with this with the state policy for for participation for equity participation because normally it gives them confidence that the state uh is aware of uh, what is taking place and and having a state can represent the interest of the state in the venture. The challenge of course comes with, with, the, with the risks that we mentioned um, and, and the purpose for which it is done. When it was done in the mass privatization era and states expressly required the participation of mining in enterprises uh, to have mainly free or current interests. This always, of course, made the investors uncomfortable. But if it is made in an arrangement where you have fair and equitable discussion on what that state stake will represent, then it is easier for the investors to be comfortable with that investment because they know what it means. And there is a transparent process by which each party knows what it will mean, the expected returns and the expected uh, risks being taken by each party.
0: So one of the main drivers of development anywhere in the world is uh, foreign direct investment, but particularly so in Africa where the capital markets are very weak and uh, you know, investment of in financial terms, in large projects has to come from outside. And so there's a level of uh, uh, you know, need to attract and entice others. Mm-hmm. When you think about the need to enthuse foreign investors, mm-hmm. how logical is it for countries to increase the ask, of these foreign investors while at the same time reducing the take, in this case through equity. Isn't that somewhat ironical and perhaps even uh, counterproductive?
1: I would say that if there is not much irony or contradiction. I think the two goals can coexist. Certainly, FDI must be complemented by local buying and ownership to flourish. And I think most investors understand that, especially the genuine investors. Otherwise, without that, it leaves social issues and resentment in, in its wake, which in the long run is not sustainable. I agree that finding the right balance of those two is not easy, but it requires the kind of fair and equitable discussion on the table that I mentioned with an open mind and proceeding through consensus as much as possible. Policies encouraging local participation do not always need to be prescriptive. And I think that's where the perception, uh, perception of them being wrong comes in. If they can, can be opportunities where there is a kind of um, a kind of, uh, of equitable discussion of the issue. Then that should not be a problem.
0: So you make an interesting uh, nuance, which is that it's one thing to have uh, policies uh, and laws. It's another to have provisions that are prescriptive. So in the event of having a policy and a law that is not prescriptive, what are some of the ways by which you think uh, a requirement for citizen equity participation might be enforced without giving the appearance of uh, being unduly prescriptive?
1: So there are several ways that can be done. Uh, One would be, of course, having local content uh, local content uh, laws, uh, which local content development laws or regulations, which are a win-win for both the host countries and investors and goodwill and enhancement of local knowledge with local shareholders adding value certainly, created for the mining farms from citizen equity participation. I am sure this would facilitate longevity and. And there are some countries on the continent that have done this, and this has has been successful, especially in the more recent past, uh, as you have increased knowledge about these issues. And there's been guidelines provided, for instance, on the stock exchanges of some of these countries for the local participation, Ghana being one of them. So those are not prescriptive, but create an enabling environment for that. The second aspect would be exempting local investments in mining or mining dividends from taxes in an indirect way of promoting local investment in mining ventures. So that's also ways in which you can encourage citizen equity without being prescriptive.
0: Uh, You have uh, once or twice now made reference to uh, enabling citizens to participate uh, through listing of uh, stocks in national markets, but is it how feasible is this, uh, uh, Stephen? Given two things: one, um, not many countries have very robust and uh, properly regulated uh, mm-hmm. stock exchanges. For one. Secondly, even where they are matured and very well structured and regulated and attracting capital from different parts of the world, they remain very elitist. So how helpful is this in a world in which the very reason for citizen equity is to create uh, a level playing field for one, but also broad based citizen participation rather than an elitist approach.
1: I totally agree that that's a challenge that we that we that we face, and hence the responsibility of the state to create an environment where the citizens feel that they have a stake. Uh, and I agree. I mean, that's the whole challenge in terms of finance: that raising the finance without no prior record, and of course the fact that finance is expensive. On the continent, the capital markets, as you indicated, are not developed, so you will end up with uh, equity participation mainly by the elite. There are other ways. Maybe we should be thinking about this. Has come come through in the past ten years or so. Um, there is a big debate on sovereign wealth fund, whereby there should not be concentration on citizens' participation per se in the ventures but ensuring that there is full transparency in terms of the returns, the revenues being obtained from the ventures so that the revenues or future revenues obtained are invested in a sovereign wealth fund that will support development in the long run. And then having an explanation to the the public in terms of what that means the link between the sovereign wealth fund or the, the, the saving of the resources from the, from the investments by the private sector, external, whatever, uh, supporting development in the long run. I mean, I would, I would, I would not be wrong to say that probably Botswana uh, is the best example for this on the continent. Uh, in terms of saying that, look, it's not absolutely key to keep thinking about the citizen participation, but look also at the citizen participation in terms of how are the returns utilized? Are they utilized for the development that's for the benefit of the citizenship and you have full transparency in the industry? So I think that's what we should be thinking about.
0: Yeah, I, I like the distinction you make because I have this discomfort with the assumption that if citizens acquire equity by definition that translates into a benefit financially and otherwise uh, without paying attention to two things one that if you're a shareholder you acquire certain responsibilities and liabilities for that matter Mm -hmm. and that any investment imposes a level of risk that very often the uh, sequencing is first invest and then manage the investment risk. Mm. Hope that the markets and the prices of the commodities are such that you will, uh, there will be some margins in the revenue. And then with that, hope that you don't, there's no other need to further plow back the money into the uh, project and that you can distribute dividends. Most people think you invest and then you get a dividend. But in truth, the gap is much bigger the gap between investment and reaping the rewards can be pretty uh, wide and the time frame pretty long. Exactly. And, and so I worry when we tout this citizen investment that uh, an equity that we, we sort of create the false mm. appearance that by merely having equity, uh, people will prosper, which is not true. Mm. And, and that perhaps a better way to look at participation is not through equity. Is participation mm. in the benefits. Exactly. Let the, let the state participate. Let the mm. state have a good deal. And mm. then let the citizen participate through the manner in which the state mm. manages the revenue, such that it touches the lives of people.
1: Yes. No, I totally agree with you, Sheila. And in the context of that, of course, it's absolutely important to have effective sensitization to the public on the issue. And of course, full transparency on what the government's role is and how the companies provide full disclosure and reports so that the citizens are aware of what the exact status of the industry is. And the government is already a regulator. So all they need to ensure is that the mining companies are fully accountable because there are other issues to take account of, environmental issues, subsequent uh, closures, uh, World prices, and of course the other issues like uh, uh, things that affect uh, the the, the communities. Women, you know, having non-prescriptive encouragement and uh, some positive encouragement, say for increased women and minorities' rights, things like that. So I think sensitization of the public on understanding that private venture, private investment is massive and involves risks So think about what are the spin-offs from the investment by the private sector for the public?
0: It is that kind of uh, accountability and transparency, which Mm -hmm. I feel, if achieved, makes Mm -hmm. individual equity participation completely unnecessary.
1: Exactly. I think it should be the end goal, utilizing the resources for development that is necessary for the medium to long term. And investing those resources in recurrent expenditure is short term and increases the pressure on the governments because when the resources end, or if you have a slump in the world prices, you're talking about Botswana, that's diamonds, probably the prices have been consistent. But for most of the other the other mining ventures, we know you always have a cycle. So when you have a downturn in the world prices and you don't have that revenue available for recurrent expenditure, then you have an immediate slump and for developing countries, that's extremely dangerous. So longer term uh, development like infrastructure that you mentioned, which was the biggest in Botswana, makes more sense.
0: Mm. I mean, one of the things you spoke about risk. One of the risks that I perceive with this advocacy for citizen equity participation is what I call the risk of inheriting Mm. legacies of the past. Because if you think about it, if you buy into a company today that is uh, say, you know, been mining a deposit like the Williamson mine uh, Mm. in Tanzania, which is more than, uh, you know, nearly 50 years old, Mm. there will be certain environmental physical environmental legacy issues, social environmental legacy issue. Mm. And I fear that this idea that citizens can stop the clock and say, from this moment on, we are part of the the venture, puts them at great risk because even with the best due diligence in the world, Mm. it's possible you are inheriting something, the nature of which you don't know. And I wonder whether you, know, you share the, the same view and whether you agree that it's not really always desirable to buy going concern.
1: I totally agree with you because the risk with that is that assessing the, the, the long term viability uh, and the liabilities is very difficult with an ongoing, uh, an ongoing venture. And for the same reasons that you have pointed out, all these ventures have a lifetime. Entering at a certain point does not indicate whether or not that lifetime is nearing end or not. So they higher the risks. And of course the government, the major disadvantage that the government is that they do not have the necessary Uh, the necessary capital to invest in assessing the viability and feasibility of the venture. So I think you're right. It's better to start from the word go where it's easier to assess the long-term potential of the venture and uh, have returns at a certain point, which you are aware of and plan for the subsequent risks related to closure and, uh, and losses.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah. I always wondered whether a better option is to facilitate new partnerships and uh, encourage citizens to go instead into greenfields and really uh, not only reduce this risk of inheriting legacy issues and, and difficult other issues that can be part of uh going concern, but also really start from scratch and learn mm. the mining value chain so that they start off with what it takes to explore, what it takes to develop a project and what it takes to operate a mine or an oil or a gas fit. I mean, it, it, the notion that you could just come in mm. at operation stage, I, I think sells short mm. the true nature of the challenges
1: In fact, one of the major challenges you've highlighted the likely end of the life of the mine or investment, but there is also the the equipment becoming obsolete. So you enter, you are inheriting equipment that you are not sure what remaining life it has. Like any equipment, mining equipment is a huge capital investment the depreciation is high, the cost is high, so you enter a time when you might need retrofitting, which happened with, uh, with many African countries where there was nationalization of these mines. They took them over within a few years. They could not uh, retrofit uh, the equipment and they all stagnated until we then had a second wave during the structure adjustment programs uh, when they started privatizing them again. So it it's better to avoid going through that cycles by like you're suggesting uh, going greenfield, looking for completely new investments and assessing them and attracting potential investors that understand, understand what the what, what opportunities arise. And I think that's something our countries should be looking at, especially in the context of climate change, taking advantage of the opportunities that could arise uh, under climate change and attracting new investors in the context of changes which have taken place on the continent. For instance, the African continental free trade area would encourage uh, uh, cross-border trade and pooling of resources uh, with the removal of the the trade barriers and probably with opportunities for intracontinental investment. So I think it's better to look at, at, at new ventures in that way in the context of some of the opportunities that are rising now, like uh, climate change uh, investment and um, the African continental free trade area.
0: Yeah, you you raise a, a, another interesting subject of course which is climate change. And, and of course climate change uh, transition to green is driven by the desire to reduce uh, carbon emissions, and, and, and one of the, if you wish, first casualties of that was coal and now oil and subsequently uh, gas. I was wondering, in, in, in a dispensation in which, if you wish, the petroleum industry is shrinking, when we think of uh, citizen equity, what are the opportunities uh, that come with this uh, uh, shift in uh, the structure of the the energy mix. You know, what what should governments be advocating that would align to the citizen uh, sentiments towards equity?
1: I think, uh, Sheila, it comes back to some of the discussions we had before. Uh, First of all, sensitizing the public about what investment means, the capital investment requirements means into these ventures. Uh, And governments should not be rushing to to invest in the ventures where uh, where the issues have arisen and uh, IOCs uh, do not want the assets anymore because of the risk we've already discussed in terms of inheriting liabilities but they should be more cautious and do their due diligence. Purchase or acquire share of resource companies for only economical strategic reasons, not emotive ones. Some relevant questions they need to really ask themselves is the capacity to maintain or improve their operations, as well as the especially research and development that are necessary to ensure or maintain economic operations. Are the IOCs divesting from those particular areas? So they can't, our country should be able to sensitize uh, the public about what it means. Are they able to sustain their own investments in these areas? Are they able to do the research and development that is relevant? And uh, whether they're able to attract partners that would understand the importance of these investments in terms of development. But I think Africa needs to have a bigger voice uh, in terms of calling on the developed countries not to wholesale abandon uh, the new new investments in Africa in these areas in the name of climate change. When Africa's contribution to, to the the damage of the climate is so minimal. So I think there has to be a balance taken care of. And I think we can only do this on a continental level. I think that's what I'm trying to say, that to do it as a single country will not work. The continent has to have a common voice in saying that, look, we recognize the importance of of, uh, investments being green, climate climate, uh, favorable, but at the same time, we have to look at the development needs of the continent.
0: Hmm. So, yeah, this is, uh, uh, we, we just finished a series on, on that. And then many uh, of my guests agreed with you that, that there is no justice uh, in this space and that um, there's an element, if you wish, of bullying the Africans under the pretext. Uh, of uh, climate change, that a better formula that climate change is necessary uh, and and the the importance of mitigating uh, carbon emissions is equally important, but that the formula is wrong. The construct of how we are approaching this is not entirely uh, correct. But you also make an important point, which I recognize. You see, uh, international oil companies don't just go out searching for hydrocarbons to pump oil and gas, Mm. but actually in the back room, they invest hugely in R&D and their suppliers also invest hugely in R&D and engineering processes. Mm. You know, the unintended consequence of backing off from fossil fuels is that that supply chain is going to shrink also. And the investment in knowledge in those areas is going to shrink. So while we tout citizen equity, we must remember Mm. that if we acquire these shares Mm. in these uh, oil and gas uh, and coal plants for that matter, the source of technology necessary to keep them going Mm. for the next hundred years is probably drying out as we speak, and that we could be buying Mm. uh, a white elephant. I think when African countries think about this construct of citizen equity in the fossil fuel space, they should think Mm. how capable are we to keep this running technologically to start with, but also financially as the financial markets uh, become shy of putting money in a high intensity uh, carbon emission, Industries. I, I think that's a real issue that suggests a rethinking of uh, citizen-state equity participation, at least in the fossil fuel space.
1: Mm. A major one, Sheila, and that is where the sensitization of the public is important. We have to find ways of, in in the way you put it, generating more knowledge and making more information available to the public so that they are involved in the debate and get their views, their constructive views. At the moment, that debate is not sufficient, in my opinion. And we need to uh, create that environment for that debate so that they understand or rather appreciate and get their their views on on, uh, those developments.
0: Here's my final question to you, and it's a a fairly general one. so I've been associated with the uh, extractive industries now in some form or other, but mainly mining uh, since 1994. And I live in a country in which mining is everything. Mm-hmm. Second, and it followed by another natural resource, which is uh, the Okavonga Delta and it's uh, fauna and flora. So, you know, things natural, affect me very personally, as do uh, many of my countrymen and women. Mm -hmm. But I often think here in Botswana and and perhaps elsewhere in the world, there is too much obsession with extractives at the expense of paying attention to other industries, especially the renewables, Mm -hmm. that have a much longer future Mm -hmm. environmentally and economically. Mm And that as we obsess over citizen equity in mining and not looking at agriculture, manufacturing, IT and others, that we do ourselves a a gross disfavor. Am I right that there's an undue attention paid on the extractives and less in other industries that are potentially much more impactful directly on people's lives?
1: you've really highlighted the main reason that the extractive sector gets attention, which is that it is a non-renewable resource. And when you have something that is non-renewable, you have to be careful that its value is not lost, diminished, and of course the distribution aspect when it is still alive. But of course, we've also discussed other issues uh, why this is a major problem. In other words, an over-focus on the non-renewable in that it is more visible in terms of uh, as a resource because it is regarded as a high return, so it's more visible. But the the renewable resources are are not immune from the same dangers the same dangers that we have with the the non-renewable resources. with climate change, we already are facing challenges in terms of the quality of depletion of uh, uh, fishing stocks and so on. These resources will also get scarce. So there is a need to focus on on the importance of those resources when they are still available. As much as we, we 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 focus on the non-renewable and address, as you rightly put, uh, the necessary mitigating factors that we need so that they are not they are not depleted. Even the renewable, and that we create opportunities for their renewal. So we need to have effective ways of generating more knowledge. Fortunately, the international focus on climate change is beginning to also go in that direction and say that, look, we also need to focus on this. In fact, if you look at the at the climate, uh, climate debate, there is recognition that there is as much damage in the exploitation of renewable resources as not as much in terms of quantity, but there is sufficient uh, carbon emissions, even from the exploitation of the renewable sources. So I totally agree with you and we need to, channel the public debate and public sentiment to recognize the importance that over-focus on citizen equity participation on just the non-renewable is really counterproductive because we can get as much return and get as much development if we can harness the renewable resources uh, optimally and uh, in the right way.
0: Fantastic. Well, I think that's a, a nice uh, note on which to end uh, today's conversation. Uh, thank you very much for uh, sparing me uh, a moment to talk about these important issues. And if I am in Kampala, I'll be certain to look you up. Thank you very much for joining the Sheila Khan Extractive podcast.
1: Most welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Sheila, and we look forward to continued discussion.